0: The way we're living right now and how we're coping with the current trauma that's been coming through the generations, it totally contradicts who we say we are as co-people. Our healthy cultural ways, our respect for one another, our kinships, it's beautiful and it's powerful. So what Messengers for Health has done is we're utilizing our strengths, our values, That's how we structured our model, talking one-on-one, relating to people. We overcame cultural taboos through education. I mean, we even had cancer survivors sharing their story in public. That wasn't happening before.
1: Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast. This episode is part of the Life in the Land project which is a series of films and podcasts produced by Stories for Action, which hears from folks who interact with the complexities of Montana's landscapes and communities, speaking to the value of locally-led and collaborative work, and the holistic approaches needed for healthy communities and the ecosystems that they're a part of. I'm your host, Lara Tomov. In early April, I was fortunate to attend a gathering held in Bozeman, Montana, called Strengthening the Circle, which aims to build the capacities of experienced and emerging native-led nonprofit organizations that are working to improve economic development, education, and social services on or near reservations. This year's gathering brought folks from around Montana, Washington, Idaho, North and South Dakota, Hawaii, and more. I was fortunate to be a guest for just a couple of days at the gathering and was trying to just be a fly on the wall, but it was so inspiring to be surrounded by folks who had such passion and heart and dedication to serving their own communities. There were wonderful speakers and sessions that provided everything from inspiring stories to helping folks with the nuts and bolts of filing paperwork for nonprofit organizations. This gathering also created this space. For folks to connect with others who may be geographically very distanced from themselves but who may share commonalities in their experiences and challenges and can connect with this higher level community, folks can build those relationships and connect, laugh together, support one another. To me it just really underscored the importance of creating these gathering spaces when they're thoughtfully put together and hold this mission of creating community. The gathering is hosted by Bozeman-based organization Hopa Mountain. Hopa Mountain's mission is to invest in rural and tribal citizen leaders who are improving education, ecological health, and economic development. The foundation of Hopa Mountain's work comes from a perspective that I have to say I fully resonate with and appreciate, and I'll read you an excerpt from their site to show the root of what drives their work. They say, quote, The possibilities for economic, environmental, and social health in the region where they work, the Northern Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains, lies in the strength of the people, especially our relationships with each other and with the land we love. In every community, there are not only good ideas, but community leaders who get things done and to whom others turn for help. Citizen leaders know their community's people values, beliefs, language, and ethnic characteristics. Given adequate resources, they can provide more meaningful services more efficiently and effectively than outside professionals can. Hopa Mountain recognizes the critical role that citizen leaders play in their communities, and we dream of what they could accomplish if they had access to more resources. Simply put, rural and tribal citizen leaders are the focus of Hopa Mountain's work. End quote. I encourage you to check out hopamountain.org to find out about the many programs that they host and partner on, including community leadership programs, local food programs, connecting young folks to mentors and other services to help them succeed in college or vocational schools, and so much more. The episode today and our next episode will be conversations that I had during the Strengthening the Circle gathering with two different Indigenous nonprofit leaders. Today's episode is a conversation I had with Alma McCormick. Alma is a member of the Absaloga or Crow tribe and resides in Crow country in the south central region of Montana. She's the executive director of an organization, Messengers for Health. Messengers for Health provides health education and outreach through a cultural approach for the Crow people. They hold a mission to grow, foster, and support trusted and respected community leaders to improve the health of Upsalaga men, women, and children, using solutions that respect and honor their strengths, culture, stories, and language. Messengers for Health began with a focus in cancer prevention for women of the Crow Nation, but their work has expanded to serve Crow women, men, and children in various aspects of health outreach. It's important to provide some cultural context around this work. There is no word in the Crow language for cancer. And historically, saying this word out loud was thought to ask for it to come upon you. Folks didn't talk with each other about cancer screenings or share with others, including family members, when they had a cancer diagnosis. They often received the diagnosis alone, went through treatment alone, and often only at the end of their life would share the diagnosis. There was also a lack of communication among mother and daughter relationships regarding safe sex and therefore around risks of cervical cancer. As Messengers for Health states on their website, it's difficult to convey the strength of these cultural taboos and the efforts that it took for Messengers for Health to break through the barriers. Community members also shared with them that there was not a great deal of trust between tribal members who were patients and their healthcare providers. Knowing this cultural context shows the effective impact that Messengers for Health has had, as they focus on improving cancer awareness, patient advocacy, and accessibility to quality cancer screenings for Crow tribal members. Crow men and women are now talking about cancer screenings to each other. Cancer survivors are speaking out in public, and support groups have been established. Cervical cancer, once a quiet and deadly epidemic among the Crow women, is now discussed openly. One tribal member said this about the overall impact of Messengers for Health. Women are the backbone of the Crow community. Cure the women, and you cure the community. Messengers for Health also expanded into work around diabetes and other chronic illnesses. They began a health promotion program called Banala, which in the Crow language means to go give advice. This program is free for community members and is a series of in-person gatherings, which includes sharing a meal together. Program leaders who are community members living with chronic illnesses who are doing well with their self-care, will encourage others who are facing similar health challenges. These gatherings strengthen support amongst community members and remove stigmas around speaking about health issues and reaching out for help. They allow folks to gain knowledge and tools for healthy living and to apply Crow cultural strengths to improve community health on a systemic level. As I spoke with Alma, the organization's executive director, I was struck by the conviction with which she speaks about her work, a fierceness that is also nurturing. It is clear that every part of her being is dedicated to the mission of her work, and for her, it is personal. Alma will share the story which prompted her to become involved with cancer prevention work 30 years ago. Just a warning, childhood mortality is spoken about in Alma's story. Alma begins by sharing some of the early years of her own life, speaking very candidly to challenges, inner strength, and the communal ties of her people. I'm a
0: member of the Crow Nation, born and raised on the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana. The Saloge, the more kind of official uh, name for our people, the children of the large beak bird. Um, I speak my language. I was brought up by my grandparents, so I always feel blessed because I uh, spoke the Crow language as my first language, uh, as we all did during my generation. In a, maybe a couple more after me, and then we're starting to kind of lose our language, which is very unfortunate, but we're kind of taking some steps now to to maintain it. So I, I grew up also learning the cultural ways um, through my grandfather, and then my grandmother was more of a, a woman of faith, you know, she was a prayer warrior, and I learned a lot. I, I felt like I was really blessed to have that upbringing. I, um, lost my mother at a young age. I was only eight and that was the reason why my, my grandparents uh, raised me. She died tragically. She went through uh, domestic violence with my stepfather. And, and so I have six brothers. I'm second to the oldest. Most of us were raised by grandparents, because by the same grandparents. And then the youngest two brothers were kind of raised by family. Um, we have a strong um, kinship and uh, clan system. And, you know, we, we always want to take in our loved ones. When something like this happens, there's always someone there to, to fill that void and to provide that love and nurturing for a child when, when things happen where a parent passes away or there's a, there's a void. And so I'm very thankful for that. We're very close. Like my mother's sister is also my mother. So I have many mothers and grandmothers who kind of take me under their wing. And so a little bit, you know, just about our cultural ways and how um, even though I went through that I was very blessed to be brought up uh, in, in in a good way. I still did experience, you know, some trauma, neglect so so extreme that it could have really affected me. But I, I went through through life, you know, being a good student and going on through high school. I attended started college right away, but it I wasn't ready. It didn't go so well. But I think um, one of the most important things that I did in my life, uh, which has really made me who I am, is you know I established my relationship with Akbaratia, the creator of everything. I established my relationship, and it was right, right in college. I felt like um, once that happened, I began my personal path towards healing uh, of things, that go way back to what we call historical trauma and those you know the intergenerational that's been passed on and what I've seen in my own family, as well as other crow people in my community in growing up, uh, and that was really disrupting our, our strong, uh, good cultural ways and our family structure. I, I went on in life, and I, I was blessed with a set of twins, my first babies, boy and a girl. It was a challenge. I had not married the father of the twins just yet. We got married a few years down the road. But um, while I was still a single parent of a set of twins and going through that challenge and just awaiting their, their birthday, the, um, when they would turn one, uh, the week of their birthday, my little girl was diagnosed with uh, neuroblastoma childhood cancer. And um, with that um, devastation, You know, I I really thought I was going to just lose my mind. You know, I could not cope with this. Uh, This should not be happening to a little child. But because of my strong faith, you know, that I had established, and I began taking steps towards um, the chemotherapy, but when she was diagnosed, they already told me she she was only going to live nine months to a year, while she lived almost another year. Uh, Right there in the hospital room where... My little girl laid um, and had passed away. I didn't realize it. It happened in a beautiful manner, though. It was just her and I in the room. Before she passed, I laid hands on my little girl, and I thanked the Lord for healing her. And it's like she rolled over and went to sleep, and that's how she passed. And through that devastation, it could have turned me to where I could have just taken a path where I could have just easily fell into substance abuse because I had experienced it in my younger life. And many of my people, the Crow people, have have fallen into it. That's how we're coping from this trauma from previous to today of grief, of loss. We can fall into that. I know people my age and older that are still coping with alcohol and drugs and pain medication. But I am sober. I've been sober for years, since the age 23. Because of that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, people would say, well, what's the big deal? You're sober. There, I know other sober people, but no, it is a big deal for me to be sober and healthy physically, mentally,
1: emotionally, spiritually amongst my people. Alma connects these experiences to the path and the work that is now so integrated into her life. Once I went through that, I
0: believe I was divinely placed in the path of healing because I had passion in my heart. Even before my little girl passed away, when we were at the Denver Children's Hospital, my heart went out to other moms as I seen the other children all ages and the way they looked and the hair loss and. You know, what was happening, even though I was going through it. And that's what compassion is, is suffering with others, regardless of what you're going through. Even somebody that's a stranger. I didn't know these people, but my heart went out to them. And it started, it started like, well, I'm going through this too. My little girl is in the fourth stage. She's not expected to live. I'm just trying experimental chemotherapy. Don't even know if it's gonna work. But my heart goes out to these others. So after the loss, that passion was there. That passion was there and if I can help people prevent cancer, well I'm willing to do it. And the doors opened up. And I started working with the the state of Montana. They were just getting off the ground with the
1: Montana Breast and Cervical Health Program. This program that Alma mentions provides cancer screenings and education for women in a way that's appropriate, accessible, cost-effective, and sensitive to a client and community's needs. And just to note, a reminder to what we mentioned in the introduction of this episode about the historical stigmas that existed at this point in the Crow community about speaking about cancer, including speaking about preventative measures, such as getting screenings.
0: I would um, schedule appointments for several Crow women. I would transport them in my own car, take them from the reservation into into Billings to where they were receiving the screening at the facilities there. Uh, I would drive, you know, it's about 50 miles, and the next thing I knew, the state, you know, had this funding for me to travel statewide to go to all the reservation sites in the state of Montana, and there's seven reservation sites total. And I traveled with another lady. Um, she's non-native, but you know, she had she was she was ma- she's married to a crow. Uh and so, you know, um she understood, you know, our cultural ways and and she had the heart for it too. And um so I traveled with her. Uh, she was also a cancer survivor. And so both her and I traveled and we recruited and educated women to get screened, talked um, talk to Indian women, provided um outreach. It was called Women Reaching for Wellness. I did that, but in my heart, in my prayer, because I had to commute every day to work. And I had small children, I was a single parent, and I I felt, you know, I I just want to develop something for my own people. That was my heart's desire. And I had met uh, a lady, a professor from uh, Montana State University, Bozeman, Suzanne Held. I met her way back in 1996. And I just really kind of hit it off with, with her. Um, I, she just had such a good, humble heart. And she, even though she's this, got this PhD, um, she was kind of doing some consulting with the state. And she just explained everything so well. You know, I stayed connected. Well, she, I guess I could say she stayed connected with me. And And while I was traveling and commuting and going statewide and everything, she contacted me and said, I'm eligible to apply for this grant to start a community-based participatory research project amongst Native women to address cervical cancer awareness and prevention. Do you think this will work with the Crow woman? What did I say? Yes, it will. Little did she know that was my heart's desire. That was my prayer. I want to do something just for my own people. And that's how Messengers for Health came about. And, you know, she didn't come up with intervention or anything. She drove from Bozeman, like, about three hours to meet us, me and a couple of other Crow women. We sat at a little restaurant there in Hardin, Montana, called Purple Cow. I just have to say that because it's no longer there. And I, I wish it was still there. I mean, that's what you do. That's what a researcher needs to do when they want to work with a community. You go to where they're at. You sit around the table with them, have a meal, and listen. That's what she did. We were the ones that took the lead. This is how this will work. It's really going to take a crow woman to talk to another crow woman. A messenger, as we call them. You could call them a lay health advisor, but that seems too technical. We're going to call them a messenger. And they will talk to women in a way, in a manner... That in how we just naturally relate to one another. The way we're brought up is where words of advice are shared with us. Whether it's by our parents, our grandparents, our clan aunts and uncles. They will share words of wisdom based on their own lived experiences. Mistakes they made in their own lives. They share with us so that we will take a better path make better decisions and we listen to those words and we respect the elders and everyone that takes us under their wings and shares with us and we apply it to our lives. Those words that were shared with me still resonate. They're in my heart, they took root. They're in the Crow language. They come to my remembrance when I need it. With that, that's how we structured our model, the messenger for health, talking one-on-one, relating to people, recruiting women that were cancer survivors, women that other women trusted and knew. That's who we recruited. And pretty soon, it took off on its own by word of mouth. Pretty soon, Crow women were going in. We were scheduling appointments for them with the messenger's war, but after a while, They were scheduling their own appointments. Pretty soon, it impacted the men. We overcame cultural taboos through education. Just knowledge. We began to realize that, yes, our words are sacred and powerful. We can speak death or life. There's power in this tongue. And so, we had kind of believed that if I say cancer, I'm going to bring it on myself. But actually, we realized that, hey, it's okay. We can say this and we're not bringing it on ourselves. That was kind of the key message. Let's use wisdom. We use wisdom by going in and having these exams. Cervical cancer is a cancer that can be prevented if found early and treated. So we began to encourage women. Yes, it's okay. You can go in and see a woman provider too. And yes, we are modest as Crow Indian women, and that's a good quality, but it's not going to keep us from going in and having this exam. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. The next thing we knew, we're in the Crow Fair uh, celebration and powwow parade with a float that says cancer awareness in Indian country. The next thing we knew, we could put it on our brochures when before they didn't want to see cancer on a brochure. And so American Cancer Society funded us for a total length of time of 10 years, two rounds of five years of funding. And even then we were told by the program manager that was phenomenal. As good as some programs are, they don't fund them again like that. It allowed us the time to establish trust. Now there is the key, trust. The Crow people trusted me They know that I lost a daughter to cancer. They know how I overcame that trial. So because of that, they were able to trust me. And when I brought in people from MSU Bozeman, they began to say, well, they must be okay." And they began to trust them. And it took time, but the trust was
1: developed. Alma speaks to how this outreach work expanded. To pivot to other connected needs within the community and formed the official nonprofit organization Messengers for Health.
0: Cancer awareness isn't the only issue that our people are facing. There's other issues that need to be addressed. We're talking health disparities, indigenous people, and other minorities that have faced historical trauma. We're not the only ones. And so we. We, we decided, what can we do? We want to sustain what we're doing. We want to continue these services. We want to reach the chrome men. They came up to a booth and looked at all the stuff for women. And one chrome man said to me, what about us? And that was huge. And, you know, he was kind of teasing too at first. What are you trying to sell here, you know? And I said, no, I'm not trying to sell anything. This is all <laughs> free stuff, you know? And I started talking with them. And, you know, we use a lot of humor in our culture too, you know, and And pretty soon he said, you need to talk to my wife. And, you know, it just—it was just that rapport. It was okay because, you know, we're respectful. Men and women, we have to respect one another. And we're taught that at a young age. And so you're careful. You don't talk about personal things. You're careful about what you talk about. But the awareness was so great that it was okay. If a crow man came up to my booth, I was able to talk to him about cancer. I was able to talk to him about this exam that women need to have. And so we decided as a board we need to become a nonprofit. That's how we're going to continue. That's how we're going to establish our foundation. And we're going to continue to address other issues and have that liberty to be sovereign, to not be affected by the tribal politics. See, sometimes there's tribal health programs that start something good, but when the funding ends... Or a new chairman comes in, they remove everybody and hire new people. That affects a good program. And our people know that. So they even asked us, are you guys under the tribe? And we said, no, we're not. And even when we did the survey asking 100 women about their health, you know, I told them what we're doing here, this data that we're collecting is going to directly benefit the Crow women. And so we had to do what we said we were gonna do. Integrity, trust and integrity go hand in hand. People are watching, people know you. There's nothing hidden from people. They know the kind of person I am, the way I conduct myself. I didn't think I was gonna become a leader for my people. Now I am the executive director. Messengers for Health became a nonprofit in 2010. We continued cancer services. We began a little project for the Crow men to address colorectal cancer amongst the Crow men. Um, we titled that Crow Warriors for Health and they began to stand up and talk about this because the men folks, they always, you know, think they got to they tough it out. If they're feeling some pain or something going on in their body, they don't want to talk about it because they're the ones that take care of the family. They don't want their family to be concerned. So a lot of times they weren't going in. And by the time they, they would find you know, um, prostate cancer or colon cancer, it's already in a later stage. And so it's those kind of things, such a breakthrough. I mean, we even had cancer survivors sharing their story in public. That wasn't happening before.
1: Alma says that as they continued in their work, they incorporated outreach to young women and girls.
0: And that came from when we were doing the outreach with the, with the women. Once they realized the risk factors for cervical cancer, they said, you need to talk with the young girls. You need to go to the schools. So we hit the schools, you know, with this information fifth grade to twelfth grade, all the schools on the reservation including right off the reservation in Hardin where there's a high population of Crow people and the majority of the students are Crow Indian. So I went and began to talk to them. And then students from MSU Bozeman worked with us, most of them native, some non-native, going into community health, becoming nurses, becoming medical providers. They get to come and get hands on, not so much about research, you know, tools and methods, But more importantly, how do you relate to women women or men, to any person, any human being? To develop that rapport. To just be so sincere that they feel your heart. They're in tuned. That's all people want is someone that cares. Someone that is concerned. And when you have that heart with someone, they will discern it. And once they feel that, they'll let their guards down and begin to open up and receive the information you have for them. And that's been why Messengers for Health has been successful. And we went on, like I said, you know, we've been a nonprofit now for 13 years. I kind of keep track, you know. And so 2010, I think the earlier years, we were just kind of barely, you know, kind of hanging in there. And, you know, they say it takes like Three years or so to become well established as a nonprofit. Well, I think it kind of took us maybe a little longer, but that's okay. We began to develop our foundation as a nonprofit. And I have to say this when we talk about community based history research, you know, that that's thrown out there. That seems like that's really where research should go. Sometimes Native communities are kind of like shying away from it, but I can say truly right now that I have been blessed. With a researcher whose heart was vested from the very beginning. Your heart has to be in it. It goes back to that passion and compassion. I speak this to researchers, you know, they want to hear about our work and why it's been so successful. This little program called Messengers for Health that started out as a CBPR project with MSU Bozeman, and now they're this nonprofit and still doing work with MSU Bozeman. Well, because this researcher heart was in it, she just humbled herself. And even though the funding ended from American Cancer Society, we were going to become a nonprofit. We had all these presentations, publications nationwide. She was not done with us. She didn't say, well, you guys are going to be a nonprofit. You know, I'm on my way to do more work, you know. I'm kind of a successful research researcher now in the research world. No, that was not her attitude. She stayed by our side, volunteered her time to help us become a nonprofit, to even work with me
1: one-on-one. Alma also gives recognition to the gathering we were attending at the time, strengthening the circle and hosting organization Hopa Mountain for the support that she says was and still is key for Messengers for Health's progress. She references Bonnie here, who is Bonnie Satchitello-Sawyer, the co-founder and executive director of Hopa Mountain.
0: We were coming here, you know, just diligently and learning and grasping everything. And then I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm I'm kind of better now. There's other new nonprofits that need, need this information, but I'm so thankful for Bonnie um, that said, "So just keep coming, keep coming back, because it's not so much for us and you know for our organizations and what we're receiving here, but even from sharing our experiences with others, beginning to just encourage another nonprofit that's coming along, sharing lessons learned, you know what we weren't quite aware of. Oh, we're supposed to file that 990, and things like that, you know." And then sharing, most importantly, community engagement. How do you engage a community? How do you relate to people? I'm able to share that here as a panelist, as a speaker here. And, you know, it feels good. And it feels good for me to share. I don't try to keep it to myself. And right now, as this nonprofit, while we've just completed another research intervention with the same researcher, And it happened in the same manner as I told you earlier. She didn't say, well, I want to do research with you guys, so let's address this. I've been around the Crow Nation. I know what you guys need. I see the disparities. No, she didn't talk that way. She said, whatever you guys want to address. She came again, sat with our board around the table. We had a meal and we brainstormed. And after much open discussion, the board said, are people that have chronic health conditions such as diabetes. Diabetes is prevalent amongst the Crow people. They really need support with their self-care. So we received a grant through National Institutes of Health to begin to improve chronic illness self-care. Not just for diabetes, they said all other health conditions. And it was developed culturally appropriate to the Crow cultural ways it was going to take a person who has a health condition such as diabetes or asthma or whatever the condition was that was managing well not letting this condition keep them from being involved you know in the workforce or social activities we're very social as crow people you know social activities going to basketball games encouraging the youth you know our cultural activities it's all really important that's how we relate we We like to go out and about and be sociable. And when someone has a health condition, it seems like, you know, they they can't do that. But these people did that. And so we recruited those kind of people that became the mentors and they facilitated some groups. I guess you could call them kind of a support group, but we referred to them as gatherings. And uh, it all came about because I interviewed 20 people, you know, for that initial data collection. I met with 20 people who shared their stories Now there it is, the key, their stories. I met with these people one-on-one. I did all the interviews, male and female, age uh, 26 to 78 years old. These people all had chronic conditions. And I sat with them just like we're sitting right here, recorded their story. The first question, the open-ended question I asked them was, how has your health been from the time you were young until now? And they shared their story. Some didn't share as much, but the majority did. They shared their hearts. And when we talked about historical trauma in there, do you think historical trauma has caused our native people, our Crow people, to end up with these health conditions and has affected how they cope with it? Certainly, indeed, it did. And they began to share, and it was powerful. And I shed tears with them. And even after we shut the recorder off, they continued sharing. They were releasing. And I prayed with most of them. That's how we are. Spirituality is the foundation and it's the core of our Crow people. And it's incorporated in every cultural way that we do. Spirituality. So what came out of this intervention was powerful. In the Western way of uh, seeing the results and evaluating it, With the numbers, it didn't really show significant results. This intervention that we call BANDILA, go give advice to improve this chronic illness self-care. Close to 100 participants. I sat with them, did some qualitative interviews with these people. They shared their story again. It was powerful. Some of the quotes are, this program brought me out of my depression. Another quote, I don't feel like I'm alone. And... Your program, it's a resource in our community. And it was just powerful. Many good quotes. But more importantly, analyzing in a perspective that relates to us as as Native Indigenous people. You know, when I did those first interviews with 20 people, when we were developing the the chronic illness self-care program, I could not just go to my research team or my messenger's family, as we call ourselves. And that's the people from MSU Bozeman, students, researchers, our board. I couldn't try to relate to them how this person's story touched my heart, why I shed tears with them. So, the best way after doing much research and seeing what's out there in other indigenous tribes, what have they done? We decided that we need to listen to this person's story. We need to sit around the table and play that. Recorder, and we need to hear their voice together. And after we shut the recorder off, I said, now what touched your heart? And then we had open discussion. And the common themes, as they call them, when you transcribe you know, the data of someone's story, and you just pull the common themes from everybody's story, what's common, and that's what Western research does. And yes, it's good, there were common themes. The common themes, you know, all surfaced, but more importantly, those deeper issues of depression and grief and unforgiveness, they surfaced. And even how we structured our intervention, it just naturally unfolded. And it was beautiful, and it was powerful, and it was effective. From that, we're beginning to address mental and emotional wellness of our people to help them begin the path of healing through forgiveness.
1: I ask Alma to elaborate on her focus of forgiveness and how she sees this as a form of cancer prevention, being that the lack of forgiveness links to built up stress and trauma, which can fuel cancer and chronic illnesses.
0: About forgiveness, I mean, when we we talk about the trauma, I experienced it, even just the trauma of losing my mother when I was only eight, to a very traumatic domestic violence situation. And even when I was three years old, I was going here and there to my grandparents and to my mother's sisters, like, you know, um, looking for a place of security because my stepfather was abusive um, to my mother and alcohol was involved. I felt like I was kind of went through neglect and abuse. And I was angry towards my mother for putting up with the abuse and just wanting to be with her husband, my stepfather, and didn't care that my older brother and I were with the grandparents. It's like she was more than glad if we want to stay with the grandparents or with my aunt, go ahead. I really didn't have a relationship with my mother, I have very vague memories. And then when I was eight years old is when she ended up dying, hemorrhaged to death in her ninth month of pregnancy because of the physical abuse that she was enduring. At that time, you know, you're a child, so you lose a parent. And then, yes, our Crow family were structured to where, you know, there's someone there to fill the void. My grandparents took me in, as I mentioned but there was still that void. I, I, I needed to grieve. Yeah, I don't care if you're a child. You need to grieve. But I was repressing it. I kept it in. It seemed like I was okay, but I, 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 I was um, hurting within myself, even as a child. But I knew my culture and I knew my language. Language is a culture. They go hand in hand. And so I was thankful for that. And as I grew, uh, I was an A student. I was an honor society. I went into high school. I was in sports, but I noticed in sports is where I began to just kind of um, feel like I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the encouragement. Um, I I quit, I quit track uh, my sophomore year. Then I was, you know, a basketball player and I quit purposely. Uh, right before divisionals, I, even though I was starter, they wanted the team wanted me, but I quit. I share these because I was doing things like that in my life that I regret even today. So now my son, the twin, is a teacher and a high school basketball coach. He coach, mostly coaches girls. I go into locker rooms and give the girls a talk and I share my story with them. I don't want them to quit. So this grief was still there. I went on to college. I wasn't ready. I fell into the alcohol. And that's where it could have taken me. That's what our people are struggling with. It's a spiritual stronghold of rejection. And that can come through death. Through just, you know, a parent just leaving. The sexual abuse. We don't want to talk about it. It's time that we talk about it. Let's be real. And the rejection sets in. That's the root Of addiction. Why are many of our people are addicted? And we take that back to historical trauma, the boarding school era, as they call it, where the young children were forcefully removed from homes. Now, if that isn't rejection, I don't know what is. Can you imagine that? And these little children were probably wondering, why is my my parents not, you know, allowing this? Why aren't they not, you know, keeping me here? I don't want to go. They took them. And they're at these boarding schools and then their whole identity is kind of like stripped from them and they couldn't speak their language. They were punished, they were abused and some died, many died. Now, as it's coming out, even years later, it's passed down. I begin to see the patterns of this generational happening in my family through my, my mother's uh, father, my grandfather who raised me. You know, he lost his mom at a young age. He shares the story that he slept on her grave all night. That breaks my heart. So next thing we know, his wife, my grandmother, she died from cancer at a young age, leaving small children. See, I'm sharing this because it's a pattern and we have to see this. It's happening. And then my mother, you know, went through abuse. And then she died, leaving young children. Again, there's me. There's my older brother was 10, I was 8, and on down the line, my youngest brother was a year old. And then I end up marrying the father of the twins, and he was abusive. And that's why I'm no longer with him. Because of my spirituality, I, I know that I was delivered out of a very abusive relationship. But it already impacted my children, the abuse. Right now, my younger son is addicted to methamphetamine because of the abuse. And my daughter is struggling because of abuse. She has been going from one abusive relationship to another. So now, you know what I said? My spiritual eyes have opened up. I see what's going on here. And I'm going to stand up. And we have to forgive. Why am I healthy here? I've had to forgive my mother. I had to go through the grieving process. That grief that I was repressing, since eight years old. And in order to help others, you have to be healthy. I had to forgive my mother. It wasn't her fault. I mean, she died early and she left us. And she just stayed with this man. But I had to forgive. It's an individual thing. We all have to do it individually. And it's hard. And it will take time. But it's the key. Forgiveness brings freedom. Without forgiveness, you're hanging on to anger and it becomes bitterness and it will literally make your body sick. That's the root of chronic illness. It's the reason why I am healthy. You know, I'm a victim of domestic violence mentally, verbally, emotionally, physically. There's all those different areas of abuse with my ex-husband. But I have to forgive him And it sets me free. And then I can begin to grow spiritually. And what I'm doing right now with Messengers for Health. And you know, it's not easy. That's why people just would rather just repress and keep it and cope and medicate through substance use. And it's even gambling. People don't wanna admit it. Gambling is also an addiction. They they go through their whole lives. And we see that cycle, that's why they stay stuck. We have to forgive. That goes way back to where we were displaced. Our lands were taken away. We were placed on this reservation with boundaries. So without forgiveness, we keep ourselves in a bondage of oppression. Then we're, it says lateral oppression. Yeah, then we're taking it out. On the very people that we love, much healing needs to take place within our Crow Indian families. The way we're living right now Because of unforgiveness and how we're coping with the current trauma that goes back to historical trauma that's been coming through the generations, it totally contradicts who we say we are as co-people. Our healthy cultural ways, our respect for one another, our kinships, our clan systems. It's beautiful and it's powerful. So what Messengers for Health has done is we're utilizing our strengths, our cultural ways, our values, most importantly, our spirituality. And every day is a good day. You never have a bad day. The only time you have a bad day is when you lose a loved one. That's the only time you can say you have a bad day. But otherwise, every day is a good day. And forgiveness is key. Forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness will begin you on your path towards healing.
1: Thank you so much to Alma for sharing your stories, your truths, and sharing the passion and dedication that you hold in your work and in your life. Your story really provides connection, reflection, and empowerment around so many topics. It shows the importance about talking about stigmatized concepts in ways that are appropriate for a certain community. It shows how, yes, partnership from outside of the community is key, but the work really needs to be guided by the community itself. Only a member of that community will truly understand the specific ways in which to communicate, effectively deliver, or to build trust. And without these elements, the work simply doesn't move forward. You can find out more about Messengers for Health, connect with their programs or provide support for their work, at messengersforhealth.org. You can also find them on Facebook. Alma also mentioned the State of Montana Cancer Screening Program, and we included a link in this episode's show notes if you'd like to find out more information on this program and to connect to information and appointments for screenings in your area. Dr. Suzanne Held the MSU Faculty Partner of Messengers for Health, is also affiliated with the College of Education, Health, and Human Development at Montana State University. You can find the link to that in this episode's show notes. This episode was recorded in Bozeman on the homelands of the Crow, Shoshone, Bannock, Cheyenne, Salish, Blackfeet, and other indigenous peoples who interacted with and stewarded these lands for thousands of years and still do today. This episode is part of the Life in the Land project, and this season of the project is generously supported by the Greater Montana Foundation, which benefits the people of Montana by encouraging communication with an emphasis on electronic media, on issues, trends, and values of importance to present and future generations of Montana. This season is also supported by the Crocus Foundation, BioRegions International, The Nature Conservancy, Montana Watershed Coordination Council, Montana Forest Collaboration Network, and Kestrel Aerial. With additional support from Blackfoot Communications, Sarah Rubick, Rodney Fry, Beth Madden, and Bill Long and Billy Miller. Special thank you to our fiscal sponsor, The Common Ground Project. You can find all of the films and podcasts which are part of the Life and Land Project at lifeintheland.org And please reach out if you'd like to incorporate a film episode into an upcoming meeting, gathering, or in the classroom, all for free. And if you would like support in facilitating a discussion after the film. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate it if you're able to share this episode with others and subscribe to the Stories for Action podcast. Find out more about all of our work, including films and storytelling workshops, at storiesforaction.org. And check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Stories for Action. Thank you so much for being a part of the community where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to create human connection and advance a thriving planet for all.